Well, if you have a, uh, have a Bible, I hope you do, turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we're covering verses 27 to 42. John 4, 27. At this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek, or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, his disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did they? Did he? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, that they are white for harvest. Behold, they are white for harvest. Look. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Father, there is such a lesson here for us. There is such a lesson here for us that we, in our comfortable Bible Belt American Christianity would get so complacent that we would miss your will. So Father, would you this morning come? Would you again pull back the curtain? Show us Jesus, the Lamb who was slain, the Lion from the tribe of Judah, who's worthy of glory and honor and praise forever that that would fuel us and stir us to gather more worshipers. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If I can give a, an umbrella statement for, for this text and for the message this morning, it's this. It's grace in the gospel frees us to worship and stirs us to gather more worshipers. Let me say that again. Grace in the gospel frees us to worship and stirs us 
to find more worshipers. I, I think that's what you're seeing here in, in the end of this story with the woman at the well where, where Jesus is met and talked with the Samaritan woman. And John continues the narrative. He doesn't just stop with the meeting with the woman. He, he continues it. And you, you find in this story that something happens with the woman and she leaves and she goes and she starts telling other people. And, and other people are coming to see Jesus and they're believing in him. But in the middle of this, you sort of get this little parenthesis of, of what's happening with the disciples. And, and so you kind of have two sets of people here. You, you have the set that is worshiping Jesus and seeking to gather more worshipers to him. And those that are not, they're, they're comfortable. They're comfortable with Jesus where he is. And they're concerned with the here and now. Let me, let me kind of help paint this picture a little more. So Jesus comes into this, this village. This is what's happening early in John chapter 4. He's coming into this village, and he's weary. It says that he's weary from travel. And the disciples go into the town to go and buy food. Now, this is Samaria. We've talked about this as we've been moving through John, and especially the last couple weeks as we've been in John chapter 4. Jews didn't like the Samaritans. They were, sort of, they were the half-breeds. You know, they were sort of the untouchables. So the disciples come into this town. They're already predisposed to look at the people in this town as, nope, don't touch them. Don't want to get their mess on me. I'm with Jesus. We're going to go into this town. We're going to try and buy food that's suitable for us to eat and not get dirty. This is kind of their perspective as they're going into this. But Jesus has a mission. He's here for an, for an appointment with a woman at the well. And he's weary. In his humanity, he's tired. But he comes to the well. He speaks to the woman. She, her eyes are open to who Jesus is. And we're going to get to that more here in a little bit. And, and the disciples come back towards the tail end of this conversation. They're going, okay, he's talking with a woman, which is weird. But not only that, this is a Samaritan woman. What in the world is going on? But nobody really asked him. Nobody's really concerned about what's going on here between Jesus, who, who's the Christ, right? I mean, early on in John, when you get to meet the disciples, they're realizing this. They're, they're real, they don't know the full implications of it, but they're connecting what the pro prophets had prophesied in the Old Testament, this guy's it. He's a little different than what we were expecting, but we're drawn to him. But they've become complacent. And, and their, their eyes are on the here and now and what they see and what they know of the culture. And so they're not asking him, what, tell, tell us what's going on here. They're more concerned about the food that they just brought in. And so the woman leaves and goes and starts telling people. And the disciples come to Jesus and they're saying, well, eat. You, you need to eat. Now the odd thing is, is Jesus seems refreshed. He was weary. He was tired. They were all tired when they got to this town. The disciples left. They come back. And Jesus, he's, he's re-energized. And the disciples are like, what, what's going on? Anybody bring him food? Anybody bring him food? And I think the key here is that in the distinction, because, we've, again, we've got two different sets of, uh, of people who are following Jesus. And the question is, which one are we? Which one are we? Are we, are we like the disciples? We become complacent and we're comfortable with Jesus and, and, and our little cir circle of Christian friends and never actually taking the gospel out there. This text is about evangelism. It's about missions. It's about worship. 
and the disciples are missing it. And, and we risk missing it. Be, because then I think John paint, tries to paint this picture because here's the Samaritan woman who's, you, you know, she, she's, kind, she's an untouchable, right? She's been involved in, in, in uh, uh, affairs and relationships. She's a harlot. I mean, let's call a spade a spade. She, you know, she's a harlot. And her eyes are open to who Jesus is, and the most unlikely thing happens. She goes and she tells people about him. Yeah, Jesus hadn't done any miracles in Samaria, by the way. As far as we know, he never did any miracles there. He was doing miracles in towns where, primarily where the Jews were. But he didn't do any here. And yet this woman's eyes are open through the conversation with him. And she goes and tells people. She's evangelizing. And the disciples who've been with him, they've been taught in Judaism. They know the truth. We talked about that last, year, uh, last week it was as Alan preached. They know the truth, but they've become complacent. They've become comfortable. Their eyes are down on the here and now when Jesus says, look up. So the question for us this morning, how do you, when you look up at people, do you see them as Jesus sees them? Or do you see them in some other fashion? Do you look out on the culture and say, the culture is just going to hell in a handbasket and... You know, I'm just going to draw a circle around me and my comfortableness. and I'm just going to camp out right here and try and not let any of that mess get on me. And that's the will of God. Is God, God desires that I stay clean. I've got Jesus, but I've got to stay clean from the mess that's out there. Somebody else is responsible for evangelism. That's, that's missions work, right? That's the missionary. That's the, that's the pastor's work. But this is what I'm supposed to do. Or, or, or is it that God has more about satisfying me in the here and now rather than the go and tell? That's the question for us this morning. So let me get to kind of the heart of where this text is because there's a, there's a lot here. So I want to go to kind of a, a, a key spot here. Um, and it's where the disciples ask Jesus, you know, they ask Him to eat. And He says, he says in verse, uh, verse 32, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And of course the disciples are thinking, well, who brought him food? It's kind of like the woman at the well just previously. You know, he, she, he asked for a drink and she questions him, you know, who are you? I mean, the Jews don't drink from the same pitchers as Samaritans, so why are you asking me this question? And he says, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for living water. And she's thinking on the same level. What oh, great, give me this water so I don't have to come here, draw from this well, and be thirsty again. And so I don't have to take this walk of shame at the hot hour of the day when nobody else is coming to the well because when I come later, when everybody else is coming, I'm shamed. So give me this water. They're thinking on the same level. And Jesus' response is phenomenal. He says, he says in verse 34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So Christ's satisfaction, what rejuvenated him here? It was that he was doing the Father's will. He was in the process of doing it and he saw that he was, he was in the, on the way to accomplishing that, to bringing it to completion. Now here's a question we've got to ask. What is that will? What is the will of God that Jesus is talking about right there? And, it, and it, it fundamentally comes down, what's the will of God in the gospel? Is the will of God in the gospel primarily to fix a marriage problem? 
I'll tell you, that's not what happened with the woman at the well. Jesus, he says, go call your husband. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. That's right, you've had five. Oh, great, let's fix her marriage problem because she's got one. She's got a, she's got a sin problem with her perspective on, on men in relationships. But Jesus doesn't go there. He goes to worship. He, he goes to worship. She raises a question about worship. He's like, I'm glad you brought that up. Let's talk about worship. If you read and you follow, and he brings up the harvest, and he tells the disciples, go gather harvest. That idea that God is primarily about fixing our problems here, even if they are sin problems or the result of sinness, that's fundamentally what he's about. That doesn't mix with that metaphor. Go gather the fruit. Well, the gathering of the fruit isn't for the benefit of the fruit. Right? You ever talk to an apple? Hey, I'm glad that they picked you from this tree. It's going to be better for you. It's for the one who reaps from it. Right? Who, who the fruit is gathered for, for, uh, for, for the one who's gathering and going to consume it. So there's something else going on here. And I think oftentimes we miss evangelism. We miss missions because we, more, we make it more about people in the here and now than we do about God and his, and his worship. God and his worship and yet that's where jesus goes so here's just a summary i think what is the will of god in this statement when jesus says this jesus is meaning that it's about bringing honor to the father through the grace of the gospel now i want to camp here for for a minute because i think this is crucial to understanding the rest of of the narrative that's in here um so i want to go to a couple different places I know I do this sometimes, okay? So we're going to leave the story for a minute, okay? Don't go, I'm not going that far. Okay, we'll go end up in Revelation, but that's okay. You know, um, so then we'll come back to it, okay? But I think this is crucial that we understand Jesus is about worship here, honor of the Father, because this then fuels evangelism. All right, so hang tight with me. In John 4, 23, Jesus tells the woman that the Father is seeking worshipers of spirit and truth and the woman becomes such a worshiper we're going to see that here in a in a minute all right but then jesus then talks about this will of the father now flip over just a page or two to john chapter five and i want to see i want you to see kind of where jesus unpacks this a little bit and, it, and i think it's good we go here because john goes here you remember you read the scriptures that you have to take verses and even stories into context with text with what surrounds them because john is is writing these things he's pinning these things and these are things that are happening teachings of jesus the red letter parts let's say are occurring in the midst of events that are happening during his life and the, and jesus this is how this is how we get the bible right jesus told the disciples later in john chapter 16 he said um 16 or 14 it's one of those i'll look them up later but John tells him, he says, the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance all that I have taught you. Now, now that didn't happen in a systematic, you know, here's a full systematic theology. It happened in the midst of the way he lived his life. And so you get the narratives, the stories of Jesus that are mixed in with the teachings of Jesus. So the teachings of Jesus then have ready application within those stories. And so it's helpful when we read Scripture and we, and we come across something, well, what is that in a narrative to look elsewhere in surrounding text to, to bring clarity to it? So 
there it's it's easy for us to go then to John chapter 5 and we're going to come to this later and this is great because we'll preach through this fully so I'm not going to give I'm not going to give a full explanation of this and I'll leave this for Alan um, but I do want to just make some comments on it so John chapter 5 here the the Jews are upset with Jesus not only because he's just healed a man on the Sabbath but in verse 7 or verse 18 it says that he was making himself equal with God now that's a big claim so let's see how, how does Jesus explain that. He says in verse 19, Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives, life, gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but is passed out of death into life. Now hop down to verse 30. It says, Jesus, is, he closes this out with a parallel statement very similar to what he says in verse 19. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now notice something about Jesus in this statement. Okay? Jesus is he's equating his equality with God the Father. They're equal in their dignity and honor. Do you see that? They're equal in their dignity and honor, but they're distinct in their submissive love. They're distinct in their submissive love. The Father loves the Son, and so He desires Him to receive honor. And the Son loves the Father, and so He submits to the will of the Father. Do you see that? He submits to the will of the Father, and therefore he gives the Father honor. And, and Christ is satisfied to do this. Do you see this in the Trinity? The Father loves the Son. He says, I love you so much, I'm going to reveal all things to you. I'm going to show you everything that I'm going to do. But not only that, I'm going to grant to you authority for judgment, but also the ability to give life. Now, judgment's the default. It's not like, well, here's door A and door B. Nope, here's... This is judgment, and then here's life. Here's life, and he grants that to the Son. And the Son loves the Father, and he's going to submit to his will. He's going to obey it. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's going to sweat drops of blood, and he says, not my will, but your will. And he wants the Father to receive honor. That's the key thing, I think, in here. There's a lot in here, like I said. I'm glad we're going to get to this later so we can unpack it more fully because when you read this, I know, it's a mind-bender initially. Okay, but just kind of hang with me because Jesus says he wants the, the Father to be honored. Now, how does the, the Father receive honor here? How does he receive honor? Because he's going to get glory in judgment. God is glorified by the judgment of sin because he's just. It highlights his nature. But if God is, all, is just, he's also loving and merciful. How is he honored in that? Jesus tells us, by those who believe in the one whom he sent, which is himself. Those who have faith in him. 
Jesus will say later in John chapter 6, he says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life, but, but you don't, he's speaking to the Jews who are unbelieving, you don't believe in me. But all that the Father gives to me, I'll keep them, and I'll raise them up on the last day. The Father says, I've got people in this city. I've, got, I've ordained that, that people will come to faith, specific people. This isn't just kind of some of this basket, and I hope people jump into it. He says, Jesus, you got an appointment with a woman at the well. She's, she's sinful, she's, she's lost, she's, she's, but she's mine. And I want you to go rescue her. And, and, the, and the son says, yes, Father. He says, yes, I will. He says, yes, I will. And I'll keep her. And I'll raise her up on the last day. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? Now I want to see, I want you to show the I want to show you the connection between worship, between honor and worship. Because in this context, we go, okay, that's honor, but the Greek word that's used there primarily comes up like where there's texts about you should honor your father and mother. Well, I mean, I don't expect my kids to worship me. You know, in fact, I, I don't want them to. That's a, that's a little bit higher level, isn't it? And so maybe that's what Jesus is saying. Well, let's just, let's just honor, you know, let's just kind of pay homage to, let's, let's kind of, you know, let's just adore, let's, let's have warm, fuzzy feelings towards him and towards God. But he actually means it as more than that. Let's look at Revelation. I told you we were going to go there. Revelation chapter 5. And what precedes this is a, a picture in heaven of the throne. And God the Father is sitting on the throne. This is the angels, the living creatures, are giving glory and honor to Him. This is for it's you who've created all things, and all things exist because of you. They're giving honor to Him. And, and chapter 5 starts off, says, and this is, this is John, right? Okay, this is John who wrote the gospel, who, who wrote the epistles, and now in his later years is writing Revelation. And he says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, that's the Father, a book written inside and on the back and sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals. And no one in heaven, nor on earth or under the earth, was able to open the book or look into it. Then I began to weep greatly, because no one was found worthy to open the book or look into it. Let's stop right there. Why is John weeping? Because he knows what's in the book. It's the, un the final unfolding of God's plan to redeem all things to himself. And John knows that's a good thing. That's a, that's a good thing when God writes everything that's wrong. When the brokenness is fixed. But it's not only about the brokenness. And we continue, verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came, and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Anybody guess who that is? That's Jesus, right? That's, that's Jesus who takes the book from the Father. 
when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. They're worshiping. Each one holding a harp and gold bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals. Why? You've got to ask questions when you read Scripture. Why is that the case? And he answers. They answer and they say, For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God. And they will reign upon the earth. Let's pause right there one more time. Do, do you hear that? From every tribe and tongue and nation. That includes Samaria. The disciples, they're not looking at Samaria as potential worshipers. They're looking at Samaria as not worthy, not not worth it. And Jesus is saying, i got people here. The Father has people here who He's called to Himself to, to honor Him. And they've got to meet Me first. They won't get to Him unless they meet Me first. And experience His grace. And experience His love and His mercy. And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands. Saying with a loud voice. I want you to listen to this and ask who gets worship and who gets honor. Not who gets them separately, but who, who gets them both together. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Do you see that? The Father loves the Son, grants to the Son life. I want, I want people to know that I'm merciful and gracious and loving. I want them to be redeemed and be brought back into my presence. And I want you to go and I want you to get them. From every tribe and every tongue, from every nation, from Judah, from Samaria, from Egypt from China, from Iran, from Greenville, from Greer, all of these. And Jesus is joyful to submit to the will of the Father. And He's, he's honored because of that. That's why Paul writes in Philippians, and he says, Christ humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To the glory of God the Father. This is what's happening. This is what's happening in, in this little story, in this little town with this woman. And, and she's, she's freed to worship and she's freed then to go and stirred to go gather more 
worshipers. So let's go back to our story because I want to show you. Once we got kind of that context about what is Jesus about. He's about the will of the Father. About gathering more worshipers in. That this woman is freed to go and find more worshipers. Three places I think John makes this clear. We're back in John chapter 4. Verse 28. So the woman left her water pot. Remember she came to the well to draw water. It's hot. She's thirsty. She needs water for you know, perhaps her kids. If she's got kids, I don't know if she does. But everybody's got water to live. That's, that was a big thing there. Is you had to have water and you had to go get it from the well. She went and she left the water pot. doesn't say she forgot it. It says she left it. She came to draw physical water but was given spiritual water. As, John, as Jesus said in verse 14 of the same chapter, she became then an overflowing fountain of water. This rem- reminds me of the, when Jesus tells the parable of the hidden treasure. Remember the man that he's working in a field and he, he's digging and he digs up a treasure. And he realizes the value of the treasure and he goes and he sells everything that he had to buy the field that the treasure was in. The, the, the woman's relationship with the tangible things of the world has changed. It's not that she doesn't need them. It's not that she's like, oh, well, I'm just, I don't need anything at all. But the nature of them has changed. Grace of the gospel reorients our values. Second one, in the same, same, same verse, she went into the city and said to the men, come see a man. This is not the Christ, is it? Remember this woman, she's, she's known in the town as a harlot. She's known for having promiscuous relationships. She's, she's known for being, a, as we would call it, a homewrecker. You know? The women probably look at her with scorn and, and, and walk on the other side of the street and probably slap their husbands and say, don't look at that woman. You know? Can you imagine the, the shame this lady probably feels in this town? Or maybe previously it wasn't shame, but it was more masked by a, a, a rebellious boldness. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to be shameful of this. I'm just going to flaunt it. Shame, shame comes in two, in two different forms. It comes in the, well, let's hide it. And then it also comes in the form of, well, I'm going to just embrace the sin. I'm just going to embrace the sin. E- either way, in this village, she was, not, I, I, she was not looked upon as somebody to really be listened to. She was relegated to, you stay over there. And, and, and the, the grace of the gospel frees her to go to the people, not only just the people, but to the men who've abused her and to say, come, come meet this man. Come meet this man. It's not about her. It's about him. It, it frees her from the shame. Because, well, I'll get to that in a minute because that's the third point. But do you see that? It frees her. Oftentimes we come to evangelism and we go, well, they know this about me. Well, they'll, they'll think this about, who are they to think that, I, I can, that, I, that, that, that I'm good enough? And here's a woman who's she's not good enough. And she says, it's not about me. Don't come meet me. Come meet him. Come meet him. And they start talking to her about her. She says, no, 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 no. 
No, no, not me, him. He's over there. Go meet him. Not me, him. Come and meet him. She wants them to meet Jesus. It frees her from that. If you come to evangelism, well, I, I just, they're going to look at me. Well, they're not supposed to look at you. They're supposed to look at Jesus. Point them to Jesus. The third one, verse 39. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. This is said twice. It's said just, just earlier in the chapter. Now, omniscience is not enough to bring somebody to, simp- uh, to simply bring somebody to faith in Jesus. It's not enough to generate the faith that's happening here. Let me put it that way. Because what do they say later? They say it's no longer because of what you said we believe, for we've heard for ourselves and know. What do they know? That Jesus is omniscient? That he's a prophet? Because she said that earlier when she met him at the well and he, he says, I, you know, I know, I know you. She goes, oh, you're a prophet. That's not generated faith at that point. Something else is going on, and it's got to be going on with these people, more than just omniscience. Because they say at the end of this, uh, of, of this verse that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. That's huge. That's a huge statement. What is happening here? I, I think John that means to tell us that in spite of, Of her sin, Jesus pardoned her. Think back to when Jesus was talking with her and he he tells her, "I, I know you've had five husbands and the one that you're living with isn't your husband. What does she do? She kind of is like, well, you caught me. I'm putting words in her mouth, okay? Just go with me. You caught me, but where are we to worship? She moves to worship. Our people say we worship on this mountain. You people say you worship on this mountain. Which one's true? There's a genuineness, I think, there that says, I, I'm, I'm sinful, I know that, I've, you know, I've made bad choices, but I want to worship rightly. And I think right now I'm doing that. I think I'm doing the sacrifices and things that are cleansing me. But if I'm wrong, tell me. And, and Jesus says, well, yeah, you're wrong. Because those goats and bulls and the, the, what you are doing does not cleanse you. I will cleanse you. You're trusting in your works to make you right with God. Trust in me. I think that's what John is telling us. I think that's what John is telling us. And so often that is, that is the simple message of the gospel. So we come to people and we talk to them and we think, well, I, I've got I've to have all of these theological arguments you know, tucked away. I've got to have all these books read. I've got to, I've got to have all these answers. And if I don't, then I can't talk to people. And it just, it cuts us off. And we simply just need to say, trust in Him. Here's what you're trusting in. You listen to people. Do you listen for arguments and trying to, you know, to, to, to get those things right? To get all the I's dotted and T's crossed and walk away going, yeah, nailed that. Or are you listening going, what is this person trusting in? Are they trusting in the Christ of the Bible? Or are they trusting in something else? Are they using Jesus' language, but the Jesus that they're talking about isn't the same Jesus that I know is in here? What are they trusting in? 
And this woman went and gathered more people and said, come trust in him. And they came and they said, we know he's the savior of the world now. That's what you were telling us. And now we believe it because we've met him. So you have the woman. You have this, this unlikely candidate who then turns around and evangelizes her, her village. Her village. And then you have the disciples. The ones who are closest to Jesus who are com- just completely blind to it. They're not, they're not looking out and seeing a harvest. They're looking down. They're seeing food. And they're seeing a village that's like, I really kind of can't wait till I can get out of here. And Jesus uses this imagery, uses this, this metaphor of a harvest for them. He says, don't you say that four months and there's a harvest. They came to, uh, scholars say they came to this town around December. So it was about four months before the harvest came. Now, of course, we're not as familiar, I think, with, with the, the, the weight of that as they would be. Because, right, I mean, when is your harvest? I don't know about you, but my harvest is usually like Saturday or Sunday when I go to the grocery store. You know, harvest is every week. You know, I go, oh, great, I fill my refrigerator. You know, but for them, they had to fill up and they had to store, plan. They had to seed. And so there was work that went into it. And they were anxious for that harvest to come. Yeah, I can't wait. I mean, you imagine them go, they're traveling and they're talking about the harvest that's coming. They're like, well, we're going to go to this town and, yeah, you know, it's, it's the end of, of the season. And, you know, we're probably not going to get good stuff to eat. But, man, can't you wait? Can't you wait until the, the harvest has come? And Jesus says, your eyes are in the wrong spot. You're looking ahead to that harvest, and you're excited about it. But when you look out amongst the people that are here, and, and I don't think John just says this kind of, I think, he, I think he, he's, he's remembering that they're, they're sitting there with Jesus, and he's telling them this, and he's looking out there, and he said, do you see them coming? Do you see the people that are coming from what this woman has told them? The field's white for harvest. The field's white for harvest. Christ is joyful in that. He's satisfied in, in, the, in the work of the, of the Father, and yet the disciples are close to, to missing it. And so he tells them two things. He says, look up. He says, look, look up. Let me ask you, are you looking up? Are you, are you looking at people Friends and relationships, family, co-workers. And are you, are you seeing potential worshipers of God? Is, is Christ elevated in your heart such that you say, this person needs to know Jesus? Needs to know Him? Are you seeing that? Because that's what Jesus calls the disciples to do. Look up and see white for harvest don't be fearful it's easy to do don't be fearful of them don't don't think that you're going to get dirty if god has begun a good work in you he'll bring it to completion even as you mix it up with people whose lives are absolutely messy as you pray lord lord keep me sustain me because there are temptations here that will draw me away and yet your love for me has over is overflowing to share that with others so that they will know you and that they will honor you and that they will worship you through your Son. So keep me, sustain me.
And then he also calls them to sow and to reap. And this is grace to gather more of the harvest. To engage of a work that's already in motion. You see what he's, he's, he says in there, and we could spend a lot of time on this, but I'll, just, I'll make a few statements briefly. He says in this, already he who reaps is receiving wages as is gathering fruit for eternal life. Jesus is satisfied in this as he's accomplishing the Father's work and he's getting honor. That wages is kind of a weird word you know, in there for us to think about, but Christ is getting honor. He's getting glory in that as he's, as more people are coming to him and having faith in him. But he's telling the disciples, you're, you're not going out into this just completely you know, blank. Others have sowed. I'm asking you to reap. Right? These were Samaritans. They had part of the old law. Now they had some mixed in other you know, uh, pagan religions that had been kind of crept in as well. But there was enough there of God's grace in the Old Testament that they knew the Messiah was coming. Others had paved the way. God was sovereignly orchestrating things long before the disciples got there. And Jesus is saying, go and, and reap. Enjoy the joy of the harvest of telling others about me. Of telling others about me. Oftentimes I think when we get into conversations, we're the first people that are talking to somebody about the gospel. And, and this is the first time that God's ever even shown up. And we realize God is oftentimes at work in people's lives long before we got there. Maybe he's called you in that conversation to sow seeds. To sow seeds, to plant initial seeds of God in his glory. To help build a framework for understanding the gospel. When we talk to the kids and we've been going through those questions. And we tell them, yeah, this, is, this is a framework for helping you understand the gospel. Sometimes people need that. You start talking to them about the gospel and it's just, they're not getting it because they have no framework for it. And so you have to start somewhere else in order to get to the gospel. And so you're sowing seeds there. Or maybe you're talking to somebody who they've been in church all their life or, you know, they grew up as a Christian and they've been baptized six, seven, eight, nine times, you know. And, and you're having to, to have long conversations with them over a long period of time to help them to help them understand more of who Jesus really is rather than who they think he is. You're having those conversations. Maybe it's over coffee with a coworker, Maybe it's around a dinner table with a neighbor. But you're engaging in that gospel work, sowing seeds. And maybe he's called you to reap. Maybe someone else has sowed seeds for years. A grandmother who's prayed for a lost child. A coworker, a friend who's been trying to give the gospel. And it's just been bouncing, bouncing, bouncing. The Lord puts you in that person's life at just the right moment when he says, lay the sickle and reap. Connect this person to, the, uh, to glorifying God, the Father, through the Son. That's really the same work of sowing that it is is reaping. It's just you get to see that. And you get to have joy in it. So we're called to sow and we're called to reap. That God would be glorified because of His Son. So let me ask you, as we close, where do you align yourself this morning? 
Do you look at the story and you go, I'm encouraged, I'm encouraged, I'm like that, the woman. I, I see my weakness and I see Christ's glory. And, and, and people are coming to mind that I've been speaking to, that I've been talking with, that the Lord has put in my life, and I'm, I'm stirred up to gather more. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Maybe you come and you say, I'm more like the disciples. I'll be honest, that's where I land this morning. It's hard for me to get up here and preach this message because I'd look at this and go, I'm more like the disciples. I'm so, so easily complacent in books or just in my own comfort in my own home. And I look out and say, Lord, I'm missing the harvest. I'm, I'm missing gathering people into your presence because I'm more concerned about myself than I am about you and your glory and your honor. So if that's you this morning, I encourage you pray. Pray with me that, that, that you would ask, Lord, help my weakness, help my blindness, help me to see Jesus afresh and anew today. That you'd give me courage to go out, as Paul said, and speak boldly as I ought to speak. To people, not I'm just going to come down and confront people, but that you would put people in my life and I would have eyes to see Lord, you've put this person in my life that I might speak gospel to them. Give me words to speak because I don't have any right now. Help me to see Jesus clearly enough that when that person comes into my life, I can speak to them. I speak to them as you would have me speak. And, and that you would cause growth. Whether that's the little bud, you know, the first flicker of faith. Whether that's the hard work of tilling ground. And that is the hard, arduous, oftentimes work that's not seen, that's rejoiced in later. Maybe later in life, maybe when we're all around the throne of Jesus and we see somebody that, you know, we prayed for for a long time and we had hard conversations with and then the Lord separated us from their life. We never saw them again. And all of a sudden we see them. We're around the throne. They're there. There's joy. There's joy there. My work was not in vain. God is faithful. He's faithful. So where do you align yourself this morning? I'll close with this encouragement. Paul writes to the, first, to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 8. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father God, I know there are many who are asking, what is your will? What is your will for my life? We, we ask this, with students ask this with school as they look towards careers. Father, what's your will? I don't want to miss it. As we grow and we get into jobs and we see there are other options out there that are available, we say, Lord, what... What's your will? Where, where, where's the harvest? Where can I be most fruitful here? What's your will? May we see this morning, Father, that you are most concerned. That your greatest and highest will is the gathering of faithful worshipers into your family, locally and globally until Christ returns.
that you have a you have a secret will out there for jobs and for careers and who uh, who who people marry and children and all of these things that you will bring to pass in your time if we will merely follow your revealed will in bringing the gospel to others so father may we be faithful conduits may we take an example from jesus who said i'm satisfied not in the tangible things that are here and right now but in doing your will may we be satisfied and sharing Jesus with others. May you help us overcome fears. Fears with people. Fears of our own inability. May you help us overcome apathy. May Christ be so in our hearts that we see Him as clearly now as we can than on the day when we see Him as the Lion of the tribe of Judah, a Lamb standing as if slain who's opening the books. Father, that's hard. That's hard for me right now because other things are so tempting and distractions are prevalent. Father, may we see Jesus as clearly now as we can through your revealed word by the power of your spirit father many of us are getting ready to go out this next week and we're we're going we're going to have vbs we're going to have vacation bible school small children will come may we may we seek to present christ to them as simply and clearly as we can that their little hearts their little minds would be conditioned to worship you that you would hold them. Father, they would come to faith in you even at a small age. That they would seek to honor and want to glorify you through the rest of their lives. And that, Father, you might use children to reach adults, whether that's now as children or as they grow up. May you raise up many worshipers through our efforts this week. And fathers, we have opportunity to speak to adults. May we be like the woman at the well who left her water pot and engaged in the work of missions. Father, many things will seek to distract us, even good, necessary things. May we be most pleased and most joyful to engage in your work until it is accomplished. It's in Jesus' precious name that I pray. Amen.